Welcome. My name is Gina Timberman, and you are listening to Timber People, a podcast about people who, like timber, are strong, build and create, who gather us together like fuel that feeds fire. People who support structures of our community that uplift and protect. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to welcome my friend, Mike Fong. Mike, I've known you for a long time. It's so great to have you on the show. Welcome. Yeah, Gina Timberman. Thank you so much for having me on. Excited for our conversation. I remember when I first met you years ago, and we also became involved in the uh, Greater Oklahoma City Chamber of Commerce, and we're, we're working with the TRDC campaign, and um, what a fun history that we've had with that. But I remember first meeting you, and you're very positive and social, and you're a connector, and I remember your energy, which you still have today, and you haven't aged uh, a minute. It doesn't I'm a, look I'm like a vampire, <laughs> Asian vampire. And you're even doing more now than you were then. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I just remember sitting down with you for coffee, just thinking, I can't wait to see what this awesome person is going to do um, throughout the years ahead. And you're doing so much. Yeah, the first time we met, the first memory I have of you is whenever we were. With the total resource development with the Chamber of Commerce, I was probably about 26 years old or something, just really new in the business community. Uh, I wanted to connect with just some successful people. I didn't know a lot of successful people in my life. And I was able to raise enough money to go on these trips with the Chamber. And uh, as a 26-year-old, I had a free trip to go on a cruise to the Caribbean. (laughs) And so we got this cruise, went to Miami, and it was over, uh, it's in October. And so one of the nights, it was some sort of Halloween thing where everyone dressed up. I just remember you wearing like a sleek black dress with a kind of vampire. Were you a vampire that night or something? I was like a vampire, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that's my first memory of you just uh, uh, on the cruise, just looking uh, vampire-esque, uh, <laughs> that, that elegant, sophistication business person. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So that was, uh, over 10 years ago, about 12 years ago. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad I, I'm glad you said it was like a Halloween party. Cause people are like, why were you dressed like a vampire? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you left an impression. <laughs> Those trips were so much fun. I mean, when you have the opportunity, not only to network on a regular basis with friends and colleagues, um, professional associates, in the city, but also to get out of town and to really spend a number of days with one another. And I'll never forget. uh, So when we know we're going to a country together, but when we're also exploring a country and it was after a trip, I ran into you randomly. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was it? It was, uh, it was a couple of years later within the, the chamber of commerce. I think we had it's in sh- Barcelona. Yeah, we had just started because <laughs> like with the Chamber of Commerce, if you raised enough money, you got to go on these free trips. It was one of these incentives that you had to raise money and you, they would take you to a cruise. They would take you to Canada or whatever. It's a different place every year. And you got to hang out with everyone that raised right. X amount of dollars. So that year we had gone to Madrid with the Chamber. And uh, Madrid, Spain, that was about a week or so. And everyone left. Um, I started backpacking across Europe, went to some different cities. And what what was it? I was just hanging out with a buddy of mine that I had met from England. We're walking around downtown Barcelona. And all of a sudden, I just hear, Mike. <laughs> and then you're just across the street. And I'm like, what are you doing in Barcelona, of all places? It was great. It was such great. a random thing. So yeah. I like. 
like to think that suspectingly and unsuspectingly that our paths will continue to cross. And I want to talk a little bit about some of your upcoming travels, but you're an explorer, I've noticed, and you've explored, you've pioneered some new opportunities in Oklahoma for the Asian American community to be involved socially, but also professionally. And I'd like to talk today a little bit about the Greater Oklahoma City Asian Chamber of Commerce, which you, one of the founders of that pursuit, as well as what's happening in the Asian District. And I'm so happy that you've been the president. And I know that despite your term um, that will be up here that here before too long, that what you're doing in our community will continue to really um, maximize and benefit the communities around us. Yeah, it's been a it's been a big journey. I've been Asian District President for the over two years now. It's the last two weeks, so I'm at the end of that season. I want to talk a little bit about you're a person who is adventurous and is up for meeting challenges and being in unfamiliar circumstances with starting new um, new jobs, new positions and new businesses and going out and speaking with diverse audiences and small and large audiences alike. Where did those traits emerge from in your life? I think a lot of it comes from one, my faith, but to my family. Uh, so far as faith, I just b- believe that we were created to be here to be salt and light into the world and help out the community around you. One of the things I want with my life is whenever I die, that in my eulogy, people will say something like, because Mike Hong lived, the community's better, or mm-hmm. because Mike lived, uh, the family's better. And so I just want to li- leave a positive mark on the world before I go. And then the second thing is my family, uh, my my parents, they were refugees after the war. Uh, my dad came here with $10 in his pocket and built his life from nothing. And just seeing that entire story of what they've done to struggle and survive here and realizing that I did nothing to be born in the most affluent country in the world with all the opportunities in front of me, that I don't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. So there's a quote that I love that says something like, uh, to to whom much is given, much is required. Right. And I feel like I've gotten so much that I didn't earn or deserve. I was just born on third base being here in the United States that I don't want to waste it. I don't want to come to the end of my life and realize I did nothing with those opportunities because my grandfather, my father would have loved to be in the position that I, I am in right. today. And so for me, just to squander it would be just uh, devastating. It would be my, people say, what is your greatest fear? And some people are like, I'm afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of heights or public speaking. One of my biggest fears is coming to the end of my life as an old man, not having another day looking back at my life and realizing I just wasted it all. And so at that age, when you met me a few years before that, I had made a bucket list of all the things I wanted to do. And so after hearing my family's story of escaping the country, coming to the, to the United States, I started realizing that I needed to, to do something with my life. And I put myself in that position. Mm-hmm. I put myself at 90 years old, 100 years old, sitting there on my deathbed, uh, full of regret. And I was thinking, if I'm in that position, laying in my bed, looking in the past, what are the things that I would have wanted to have done? Mm-hmm. What things did I have, what I have wanted to accomplish? What sort of milestones right. would I put in there? 
And so I created this bucket list mm-hmm. and of all the dreams that I had as a 20, probably about a 24 year old, 25 year old kid, thinking about all the things I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And some of them were, were pretty big. And what I would do is I would look at that goal and take a step backwards and see what that looked like. Right. One, for example, one of my goals was to speak in front of an audience of 500 people. Uh, since that, I've spoken to 20,000 people. Uh, but at the time, it's 500 seemed like a lot of folks. Right. And I didn't have a background of speaking at all. Uh, so, so one of the goals that I had or one of the things on my bucket list was to join a Toastmasters club yeah. and then get my competent communicators having uh, 10 different speeches with that organization to give me the skill set to be able to talk in front of people. So on top of the 500, I went backwards and tried to figure out what the, what the next step to get there was. Yes. Your family story and uh, your story individually, you know, that's really what the podcast is really about. Timber people, it's what people are doing. And it's about inspiration from people. It's about witnessing, learning the awareness of what others are doing. And I know your father was on the Vietnamese Boat People podcast and the importance of storytelling, telling the stories and experiences of uh, individuals, cultures, of people transcending those challenging and difficult times, past and present also, to really forge a life forward. And that's really special. You know, I really appreciate um, what you and the community have been doing to educate people on those stories. Yeah, yeah. What's funny is growing up, I was not into Asian culture at all. So of my family, my dad got here in 1980. He was a refugee from the war and the youngest of three kids. I was the only one born here in the United States. So I was a lot more removed from uh, Asian culture, Vietnamese culture growing up. And so growing up, I'm just fully Americanized and I have this Vietnamese family that have these strange foods and customs and things like that. But I didn't really identify too much with that. A lot of times I'd walk around and forget I was Asian. Mm-hmm. There's one time I was speaking in front of a, a young professionals group. And usually when you speak in front of a group, people will come up to you afterwards and they'll make a comment or have a question or something like that. There's one guy that was just patiently waiting for everyone to, to talk to me. And then he went up last. He was, a, he was an Asian guy. And what he said was, it's really inspiring seeing another Asian person in leadership speaking in front of people. Mm. But my knee-jerk reaction or my knee-jerk thought was, what are you talking about? And I realized, oh, I'm Asian. Right. Because I completely forgot yeah, I was yeah. I was uh, I was Asian in that moment. So okay. growing up, I was very I just hung out with a lot of different people. So I didn't see myself as Asian. But it wasn't until I was 23 that it really clicked with me when I had a conversation with my dad. So that conversation, I was at home. Um, I was just had graduated from college. We were. Uh, just hanging out at the house. I was visiting. My mom made some spaghetti. I was doing a jigsaw puzzle on the table. And my dad comes in and uh, within Asian families, I'm not sure what it's like with, with natives, but Asian families, the, the dad's kind of the man of the house has the machismo. There's this, this presence there. And so my dad comes in, but he was very different that day. On that day, he was just very somber and I could tell something was up. So he comes in and I guess he was, 
complaining about how his joints were hurting. He was getting older. And because of that, he was thinking about the end of his life. And around that time, he was in his 60s, and he was thinking, since my sister lived in California at the time, if I were to see your sister 20 more times in my life and I die at 85, I'm only going to see her once a year. Mm -hmm. That's 20 times I'm going to see your sister before I die. And having that number was very impactful for him. So he started thinking about life. And he started talking about how lucky we were to be born here in the United States and how hard things were back for them in Vietnam. And he just started unfolding our, our family's history. Something I didn't realize was that my grandfather, his dad in Vietnam, he couldn't read or write. He would talk about how my grandfather was brilliant, but he didn't have the opportunity to go to school. Right. And he would have told, or he told my dad if he would have gone to school, would have learned uh, math, would have learned how to read just a grade three, he would have been so successful. Mm. So my grandfather, especially being in a society where you're in such poverty, he was such a forward thinker that he thought, okay, he had my dad go to school, get his education. And one day, um, well, today you're not going to work, but one day you're going to come back and you're going to help out the family. And my dad did that. My dad was very bright, would graduate top of his class growing up. He was one of the few people in his community that were had the opportunity to go to college. They grew up in a third world country in a fishing community. And he he made it. He made it mm -hmm. to, to Saigon where there was a college there. Uh, admissions to his college was more strenuous or more uh, rigid. It was, it was harder to get into than Harvard. Mm. Uh, Harvard is something like a 3.5% to get in right. admission rate. Uh, his was something like a 3%. Wow. But people that would go to college back then, it was either you're going to get accepted to college or you're going to go to war. Right. You're going to get drafted right. because there's a civil war going mm. on at the time, the Vietnam War. Uh, but my dad makes it. But uh, throughout the whole time, his uh, country uh, was lost, South Vietnam, in 1975, his senior year of college. And so after the new government took over, uh, there was so much oppression uh, that if they thought you're anti-communist uh, anti or anti-the uh, new government, that they could kick down your door, drag you off to a re-education camp. Uh, there's so much oppression there. And, then, uh, and economically, you couldn't feed your family. So it's just so hard in those times uh, that about a million people escaped from 1975 to 1990. Mm -hmm. And so my father led an expedition to escape the country. Uh, he was 27 years old at the time. He led 88 people to freedom. Uh, it took him about two years to plan that. And he's talking about finally making it to the United States. Uh, he had a, uh, my, my mom, three kids. He didn't know how to speak any English, didn't have any money, had $10 that he got from a guy in the Philippines mm -hmm. uh, that and he was in his 60s, he told me that uh, he, he didn't have his information to pay that $10 back. That's how important that $10 was right. for him because that was everything to him. Right. That was just in case of an emergency. And you're 27 years old, or now, it took him two years. So he's 29 years old, wife, uh, three kids. You're the man of the house, so people are looking to you for leadership. Right. They're looking to you to know what to do. And all the pressure that must have been on him to, to make it. But he remembers coming to San Francisco for the first time. They put him up in a, like a motel. He remembers mm -hmm. thinking, man, 
America's so nice. He, he talked to me. It was the happiest day of his life. He was so excited to be on American soil. But he stressed to me that it was a motel with an M, not a hotel with an H. Right. It was like a Motel 6 or something right. like that, not like a Hilton. America is so nice. Yeah. And he comes to Oklahoma City. His sister was here, uh, helped him get on his feet. And he and my mom worked multiple jobs. He was a he was a dishwasher for a while. This former doctor back in Vietnam was washing dishes. And he had to re-get his education again. Mm-hmm. He had to go back to school, get his bachelor's in a foreign language. And get his master's. Incredible. Yeah, he remembers those times having to wake up, uh, take us to school, go to work, go to class, go home, grab some food, take us to bed. And then what he did was he would have to study for for school, figure out what happened. And so he'd have his book. He would have his notes. He'd have his tape recorder. Then on the other side, he'd have his dictionary. And on the other side, he'd have the Vietnamese dictionary mm-hmm. because he's learning right, English right. the entire time. And today um, he he's retired, but he finally got his master's, worked at Tinker Air Force Base, got mm-hmm. us to middle class. We got out of poverty. And here I am, born in the most affluent country in the world. And when he told me the story, I was 23 years old and I'm sitting there eating my bowl of spaghetti, just trying not to show that I'm paying attention too much. I remember afterwards going to my room and locking the door. And I remember putting my head on my pillow and I started crying. Uh, it was such a mixture of emotions because I, one, I was so proud of my mom and dad for what they did, right. but also too, I was so ashamed. Mm-hmm. I was ashamed because I did nothing to deserve this. And what was I doing with my life? So I remember making a promise to my father and grandfather that day that all the sacrifices that they did to get me here, it would be worth it. I I would do something with that. And so since 23, I think that flipped a little bit for me uh, in that it gave me uh, more of a a purpose. I I needed to make their sacrifices count, but I really uh, internalized, because I heard those stories growing up, but for some reason at 23, it just really clicked with me. I internalized it and it made me realize how fortunate I was. and I didn't want to waste it. That's really, that's honorable. And, you know, the word you said purpose, you know, it's really important to recognize that, that heritage, that legacy of strength and courage and hard work. You know, I think about our native people, our indigenous people through times of removal and the uprooting and dislocation of our people and that, sense of a rebirth in a new foreign land and the chaos and the grand drama and emotion of that uh, historic trauma and what it means for those of us who are fortunate enough to walk the journey that our ancestors paved for those of us to walk that today. And you're an ambassador of your family, of your culture, and that's important. It's special. And I really appreciate you recognizing that and the commitment that you have for, again, honoring that. And I'm sitting here thinking it wasn't long after that moment, you know, you talked about the age you were, I really didn't have to really print out of it. I did, re- I did realize you're 30 under 30 award recipient, which I, of course, wasn't shocked. But in yeah. thinking about that with this I'm story. I'm over 30 now, uh, but <laughs> at the time, I was, I was one of the top 30. 
you know, it wasn't long after that story that, you know, you're starting your business and it wasn't the first business endeavor, but everything that you're doing, it's, it's really awesome to see and to witness uh, as a friend and a professional associate. Tell me about the work that you're doing now with KM Communities. Yeah, with KM Communities is one of those ideas that I wanted to do something purposeful with my career with business. And so around that time, I really felt called to get into business and use my influence, use business to better to the community. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I had thought I would be some sort of big business owner that made millions of dollars that I could do things like employ employees, give them opportunities to work uh, because a good job is is it pays rent, it pays for schooling, it pays for tennis shoes for your kids, rackets for sports, dance lessons for for your kids. And so a good job can go a lot of way, long way to help people. And I would use that money to help with nonprofits and give back and that sort of thing. I thought that was the the, the avenue I was going to go. I think that's still going to be the case or that, that will continue to be the case. But I didn't realize the idea of social enterprise, right. the idea that business in and of itself could go towards doing good. There's an idea that I heard of, I, I think it's from Singapore. It's called B1G1, uh, buy one, give one. And it's a program wherever... You would do something, you'd buy something, and then something on the other side of the world would happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, there would there was a company that is called something like uh, a Water to Wine. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the miracles in the Bible of Jesus is wine to water, but this right. one was water to water to wine. And what was interesting is when you would buy a bottle, there's a tag on it as a bottle of wine has a tag on it and it said something like, uh, thank you for purchasing this bottle of wine because you bought this bottle of wine. 14 people in Malawi, Africa have access to free drinking water, or right. uh, clean drinking water, right. right? So for every bottle, they would donate X dollars to this nonprofit in Malawi, Africa to provide drinking water for the community. I thought, man, stuff like that is so cool. I would love to get more and more into that. And so I started thinking about some different ideas of real estate of how do I help the community as I'm building business? I mean, both. It's building wealth. It's building a lifestyle for yourself. It's supporting your family. But what things could I do with a business to make it more a kingdom or make it more of a a support for the community? Mm -hmm. So KM Communities, the tagline is uh, KM Communities, salt and light to the community, one house at a time. Mm -hmm. And so we're chewing on a lot of those ideas of how to help out community relationships, helping people meet neighbors, that sort of thing within what we're doing. Especially today, you know, this podcast is on the Possibilities podcast platform and, you know, the nonprofit and everything with building bridges is really the theme. And I really think that what you're doing is so in line, again, with, you know, the purpose of Timber People to learn about what people are doing, but about building bridges and connecting people. And we were talking a little bit earlier about your work as president with the Asian District Cultural Association of Oklahoma City. And, I, you know, I've been involved with the American Indian Chamber of Commerce and with other activities in our community 
it's really great to see what's happening through an intercultural exchange and connection and all the collaboration that's happening with the different chambers in the city. Can you talk about that and how this has been evolving in recent years and what you see on the horizon? Yeah, I think the last several years, people have been embracing culture. They've been embracing minorities. I think that's a really positive thing. And when we started the Asian Chamber of Commerce about a year and a half ago, we are coming up to our full year of programming now. And we've grown hugely in the last year uh, with the leadership of Scarlett Cow and the team behind her. Uh, we grew from zero to over 160 members awesome. in that, that amount of time, hired staff member, and uh, we're, we're, we're just locking and loading. But uh, with that, one of the cool things is we're not just only connecting with the Asian community, uh, which that's our focus, but we're also collaborating with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the Black mm -hmm. Chamber of Commerce, the Indian Chamber of Commerce, the Natives. And we're just trying to get together as, as a united voice and work together. Because I think that within Oklahoma City, especially our success and what we're doing in the community is only going to go as fast as the speed of our relationships. Right. And so those relationships are huge. And those, but with those relationships, it takes time and you get to know each other. And so with that, I think things go a lot more smoothly uh, and it's a lot easier to move forward because everyone knows each other and it's just a, a spree de corps, a uh, looking out for each other sort of mentality versus a I'm going to get mine sort of mentality. Right. It goes back to that connecting the spheres of influence. It's great to see connecting with, we go back to that conversation of connecting with culture um, and connecting with the community. You're awesome at social media. I've uh, really appreciated seeing you, your pictures and seeing your journey from, you know, physical feats of what you're doing to challenge yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's so awesome. Um, and your adventures and travel and what you're doing with work and houses and real estate and community. And I know that in recent times that you went to Vietnam and it was really cool to see you connecting with a family and with friends and with people and just building new relationships and having new experiences. And I know that's on the horizon for you uh, coming up as well as to reconnect and to revisit. That's really great. Yeah, I'm going to be headed back to Vietnam here in a few weeks. And so being born and raised in Oklahoma City, I never had traveled overseas before. Right. And when we took that Madrid trip with the Chamber of Commerce was the first time for me to be overseas, overseas. We went to Mexico, we went to Canada, but this one was the first time being in Europe. But that trip was great because at the time I was able to take off for about a month mm -hmm. and I got a backpack after everyone left. Um, I remember being so jealous you were taking off for a month. <laughs> yeah. But no one realized how broke I was. That's why I was able to take off because I didn't have a family, didn't have any kids. I didn't have a job. I was trying to build my own business. And so at the time you had no idea, but I was making maybe a thousand dollars a month working <laughs> yeah. part time somewhere. Yeah. But no one could tell because I was a, a 26 year old kid trying to make it work in business, living at home. But I was going out and networking with all these folks. I was wearing button up shirts and suit jackets. I was, I didn't really, in my mindset, I didn't right. think of myself that as someone that didn't have any money. I, I knew where I was going. So right. it wasn't anything that was important to me. 
But uh, at the time, no one had any idea how much I was struggling financially. I remember one time at one of those events, it was some sort of, uh, you enter the event, you get some sort of raffle ticket. And I remember winning a $50 gift card. Right. That was huge for me because that was gas. Like I, I didn't have gas money. I remember at the time I was building my business and I was so broke. I couldn't go to like your Starbucks's and like your nice coffee shops. What I would do, and I didn't, I didn't want to work at home with a, because my parents were there. And so what I would do is I would go to Panera Bread. Right. Panera Bread, you had yeah. free Wi-Fi, but the coffee was $1.79 per cup. You can get refills. You can get refills. You can go any <laughs> to any Panera Bread across the city. But you can take that same gu- cup and go to another <laughs> one the next day for probably about two or three days before it got soggy and gross. Yeah. And so it was something like uh, 50 cents a day to, for, for rent. But uh, yeah, no one had any idea that I was just starting out just just how I carried myself, I guess. Uh, people are surprised to hear some of the stories. I remember one time having uh, several appointments throughout the day. So I have some appointments in the morning. And then around lunchtime, I, would, I had on my calendar to grab lunch. And then my next appointment was to go to my parents' house. And then I had other appointments in the afternoon. But no one realized, or I, I realized that that appointment to run to my parents' house was to pick up basically like a piggy bank, my change, uh, so that I could put gas in my car. I could go to Coinstar at neighborhood Walmart to put gas in my car because I had, it was like $20 or something like that. So I could put gas in my car to go to the next right. appointments because yeah. I had no money in my bank account, <laughs> right? So that was when you first met me, but a lot of people had no idea that uh, of where I was financially. So one of my big goals at the time was to connect with successful people, millionaires. It was on my bucket list to interview 10 self-made millionaires. And one of the ways that I thought to connect with them was on these chamber trips. And if you raise enough money, you can go on the trips. And I was able to connect with these folks uh, kind of on a shoulder to shoulder level because we're all, we all raised X amount of dollars to and be able to go. that wasn't easy. I mean, it was for the membership campaign. And um, I know you as a volunteer, I, I worked as one of the vice chairs that helped raise funds for the campaign itself. But the work that you were doing was not easy work. Oh, yeah. Especially being so 26 years old, not having connections. Yeah, that, that was great. I remember the first year I had to raise $15,000 to go on the trip. And also to shout out to uh, Melissa Barnett. She helped me with uh, with a couple of things to get me over the edge. But I remember $15,000 was a lot of dollars because at the time I was making $900, $1,000 a month personally of income. Yeah. So my tax return that year was something like $11,000. So the money I raised for the Chamber of Commerce was more money than I made annually that year. Right. That, yeah. That's where, where I started from. That was so fun. <laughs> so, but to get to the the question that you had asked about about traveling to to Vietnam, so on the trip to Madrid, I got a chance to backpack, and it was such a great opportunity. I got to see Europe. I got to connect with some different foreign exchange students that I had friends befriended in high school and college. Oh, yeah. Friends that I made. Um, my buddy Klaus in high school. He said, "Hey, if you're in Germany." dropped by my house and I stayed with him for a couple of weeks. Had a friend, uh, Helen in, uh, in college at OU. She said, Hey, if you're ever by Bordeaux, then at yeah. France, then drop by. So I stayed with her for, for a few days. So I had all those great experiences, but, um, I didn't have any roots. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it surprisingly got pretty lonely, even though I was surrounded by people because right. you're meeting new people all the time, but no one really knew me. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, man, I would love to live somewhere in my life for a year or two and, and start building some roots, start growing some roots. And so it was on my bucket list to live somewhere for a long period of time, uh, overseas for for at least a year. And so that's what the the Vietnam trip had been for me originally, is to uh, live somewhere overseas. And Vietnam made a lot of sense versus Korea, Argentina, wherever else, because my family's from there originally. So I could go to their hometowns, connect with family, get better at the language. And this last year I was able to go I loved it. And I just fell in love with Saigon, where my mom's from originally. And I think a piece of me is still over there. So I'm excited to to go back this month. This year was five months. And this next year, uh, I I thought to just go back for a month, two or three. Uh, But this one's going to be a little bit longer. It's going to be another five month trip. Oh, that's incredible. I knew we had to race to get you on the show because uh, I knew it might be a minute for you to come back. But Mike Hong, I want to thank you so much um, for your friendship and for your work um, for the community. And I just can't wait to have you back on the show to hear more about what you're doing to check off those items on that bucket list. I know you're going to continue to do incredible things. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, Gina, thank you so much. Yakoki, thank you for joining us. Timber People is brought to you by the Possibilities Podcast Platform. As we wrap up, Possibilities would like to give a special thank you to this episode's sponsor, Lucy Fritz and Fritz Family Farm, paving the way for creative expression in our community. Their commitment to our vision allows us to continue to have these conversations. We are grateful for your continued support, Lucy Fritz and Fritz Family Farm.